Well, good morning. Welcome this morning. It's uh, last Sunday of Fummer, I think. If you don't know what Fummer is, it's okay. It's not that. It's not that good anyway. It's just summer transitioning into fall. So next week will be Sodom, which means it's more autumn than summer now. So that was even worse than Fummer. Fummer kind of worked, but that one didn't at all. So... I think I've either know or met most of you. My name's Jim, and I'm the pastor here. If, if, I, if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. Um, we're really glad you're here. You know, church is a place where um, some weeks you feel like you're in, you're in the energy of the experience of the singing and, and whatever. Some weeks you feel out of joint, and uh, some weeks you feel flat. And uh, yeah, I just want to say to you, Church is supposed to be a place where that's okay. It's okay to feel flat. It's okay to be out of joint. Uh, We're a community doing life together. Uh, We're not putting on a show. Uh, We're we're sharing a life in Christ. We're a community seeking to follow Christ with all our lives and everything that we do. He gives us life. That's what unites us is the life we've received from Him, not what we're about. And then we're trying to live out of that life. We're trying to not just experience communion together. We're actually training together in the life that he's giving us. So it's a pretty big endeavor, church. And we're glad if you're new, checking us out or whatever, that you've joined us uh, this morning. We do what we do in the presence of God. And that's why gives us our distinction, not, not how good or talented we are or aren't, whichever it is, we do because he's with us. So we've been in a series, if you've been here this summer, some of you haven't, you're, you're coming back, school starts tomorrow at KU, for many of you school's already started, uh, we've been in a series called Journey to Freedom, and we've been specifically looking at an old ancient group of people going through a desert together. It's chronicled in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And so our quest in this series is bigger than just like an Exodus people. It's about learning to step into living free. You know, that's the cry of your heart. It's the cry of my heart. Is how do I live a life free? Free from uh, what culture says I should be? Uh, maybe why even my own heart that betrays me says I'm supposed to be. Uh, but it, how do we find how to actually self-lead our life with God in the middle of that in a way that we're actually living the way we want to live? That's the way Jesus lived. And that's the life he wants to show us. So that, that's our quest. As we've tracked this people in the desert... Last week, we, we learned that they came to a particular place in the desert, and the 19th chapter of Exodus tells us they camped there. They stayed there for a while. So that has triggered a series within this larger series of Journey to Freedom called Camping Out on Rock Hill. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do Camping Out on Rock Hill 
Our objective with the series, just so you know, A, if you're new and you're being introduced to us, we want, we want you to become familiar with our community. We want to help you understand our culture. Culture is multi-layered. You probably know that. There's what's called uh, artifacts in the culture. That's the things that you can easily see. If you're in a new culture, some of you all, this isn't your native culture. And when you remember the time you first moved here, or a few of you just moved here for the first time, there's things that you immediately see in our culture that are apparent, and you start forming an understanding of the culture based on those artifacts. Uh, we have a couple of artifacts camping uh, over here. Those are the first things you might see about camping. We want you to help you become conversant uh, with our culture if you're thinking about plugging in with us. If you're already familiar with our culture, you've been around for a while, you might even be conversant about it. You could draw our church culture on a napkin to your friend uh, if need be. We hope, it's my hope, that your vision will be invigorated again, that you'll be renewed and refreshed. It'll make more sense than ever before to anchor your life in Christ, to walk with God, and to share that life in community. We want you to come be inspired to live out this immeasurably more life that God's called us to. That's our hope. So camping out on Rock Hill. So do you like our props? So um, when we started talking about stage props or whatever, one of our thoughts was, let's not get too cheesy with the props. Let's just kind of keep it clean. And then the other day I was thinking about it and I went, wait a minute, we're talking about camping. You know, you're not supposed to be cool when you camp. Camping's supposed to be functional for you. Um, there's an old cartoon, I think it's going to be up here. I love this cartoon. So the old guy on uh, your left, I guess, is saying to the, the guy beside him, I can tell by your outfit that you are a cowboy. Get it? Gosh, that really crashed. <laughs> so, camping isn't supposed to be cool. Which one's the real cowboy? Yeah, so... Okay. It's getting worse as I go here. Yeah, so... So, anyway, if you want to contribute to our camping props the next three weeks... You want, you have some like worn out old cheesy camping. Like Ryan walked in with his guitar this morning. It wasn't going to be part of it. And Ben said, hey, that's a, that's a prop for our stage. Can, guitars go with camping. So anyway, you can bring yours if you want to. Or if you have a nightmare camping story you would love to share with us, tell it to me and we'll decide if it's worthy of sharing. So my, my family camped. Um, and here's the primary reason we camp so much. My dad was a car dealer in a small town in East Tennessee. My dad was a, he was kind of Jim the trader. He traded, like we traded for, we traded cars for TVs, uh, big radios. Yeah, this is in the 60s. And sometimes we traded for campers. My dad was Jim the trader way before there was Joe the trader. And, uh, and so he would get a camper and he would get these kind of pull behind kinds, you know, that you hooked up to your car and then it kind of popped up. And so that's how we camped. And uh, most of the time it was really good. There were some nightmare memories as well. Um, 
but I learned a lot about camping uh, during those years. Uh, so if I was going to now lead a group orientation about camping, I would want to say a few things to you. Number one, I would want teach you the primacy of staking your tent. If you don't stake your tent, you're in trouble because there's no telling what the weather is going to do. I would want you to help you find the right place to put your tent, hopefully on dry land. I will say a little bit more about that in a minute, a few minutes. I would want you to weatherproof your tent as much as you could and most importantly, stake it. That's what we're talking about this morning is staking our tent. Secondly, I would, since there's a group of us, there's a difference between isolation camping and group camping. So I would want to talk to you about how do you camp together. There's some dynamics in play with that, and uh, we'll cover that next week. Uh, George Bejackley will be leading that time, which would be, will be very interesting to get kind of a Lebanese-Canadian twist on camping next week. Third... Uh, most of us who have some experience in camping have, met camping, have many wonderful memories of, of camping. Um, the dads of my boyhood friends would take us camping, and uh, we had a great time together. Sometimes we exploded things together, which was often great. Some of them we probably would be arrested for now, think frogs, and we wouldn't recommend that. But... It was good. Uh, a lot of my camping, ironically, was on the beach. Our family camped on the beach. There's nothing like camping on the beach. Hot, humid, salty, windy. It's great. That's what we did over and over again. So I would want, if I was orienting you, to talk about good camping as opposed to bad camping. Uh, so I want to give you an example of bad ca camping with me and my buddies growing up. Come on up. Fellas, so something happens when you get middle and high school boys camping. There's a, there's a collusion. Come on up here on the stage. We want everybody, make sure everybody sees you. Um, so when we would go camping with the dads, face this way, big guy. We want everybody to see this. There you go. So when we would go, just hang on a second. We'll get there in a minute. Um, when the moon rises and the dads go to bed, it became a very unstable time in our campground growing up. And so we had several maneuvers that we would do after the dads were in bed. It was a, it was a, it was a bit like hazing, to be honest with you. It was not always a safe... Uh, there's a lot of bantering, kind of seventh grade bantering, but there's also some things that we learned. So often, the guy that was being the most annoying that particular given night was given what we called the dirty shoe treatment. So I've asked these young men, I've oriented them on the ways and means of the dirty shoe treatment. So you can go ahead and start your maneuver. So the idea was shut this guy up and make him remember how annoying he was. So the dirty shoe treatment went like this. Yeah, you can do it. Go ahead. So, go ahead. so tie that baby on there tight. Get that really snug on there. Uh, get that real tight there. Don't cut the circulation off to his head. Okay, there you go. So this is the dirty shoe treatment. So this would remain affixed to the face for one hour, and then he would never forget it. So thank you. Let's give him a round of applause for that demonstration. I have other maneuvers, too, that I'd be happy to share with you later. Uh, so finally, fourthly, 
Um, we're using camping as an analogy for the church. Um, and church is not just about doing an isolated experience. It's not about Sunday morning, primarily. It's about something else. It's about sharing life together. So if I was doing an orientation, I'd want to address you base camp and how camp, it can be a place where you come in and out of, but ultimately it's not about the camp. So those are the outlines for the next four weeks. So today we're thinking about staking our tent. Of course, we're not really talking about camping. Or it's a metaphor, right? Hopefully you got that. We're talking about doing church together. We want to orient you. If you came here for the camping seminar, RAI opens at noon. You can go there and get the rest of that. We're talking about anchoring our lives. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus talking about staking or anchoring your life. By the way, we tried to get the words on the screen as high as we could. We know in this room we can't get the screen right, so if you need to move around a little bit, if that's uh, something you need to feel free. Jesus said this, Everyone who who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'll show you a video here. We, we searched the World Wide Web this week, and Becca found this of a uh, floating tent. Isn't that interesting? A tent that you blow up and it floats on the river. So this is yet another <clears throat> way to die now that you can add to your <laughs> vocabulary. Uh, it's inflatable. It um, requires no poles and it also sails if the wind is high enough. So, And it cost only $1,500. So... Like yourself out. So here's the question for you this morning. <clears throat> is your life anchored? Is your life anchored? And if so, to what? Or to whom? I'm not asking if you simply had a point in your life where you've believed in God, if you've believed in Christ, but where is your life anchored? That's a different thing. Of course, that includes belief. But being anchored is going to make a difference in your life. Because the forces that work against you are coming if you're not already in the middle of them. And where your life is anchored is going to matter for you. If you're starting school, how your life is anchored is going to be really important for you. If you're in the middle of school, guys, if you're on the front, how your life is anchored is going to make all the difference in the world. So we're going to look at a passage this morning, a very, very old passage about a man named Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah. Abraham is often considered the, quote, father 
of Christian faith. Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. God appeared to Abraham and he spoke to him. I want you to hear what he said. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's amazing. And then God takes him outside and says, Jacob, look at, or Abraham, look at the sky and count the stars. So shall your offspring be. Oh, that's pretty big, isn't it? That's a pretty big promise. It's a big commitment. Both from God and on Abraham. So now Jacob is his grandson. You know, that's a pretty big thing to inherit, isn't it? That promise through Abraham's family line, and you're the grandson. Abraham and Sarah had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah, and they had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born a few minutes before Jacob. So the telling of Jacob's story, it begins a few chapters earlier than what we just read, Genesis 25, and it's a very interesting story. I encourage you to, to read Jacob's story sometime. It constitutes a significant number of chapters in the book of, of Genesis. Up to this point, what we know about Jacob is this. He was born second, and his older brother Esau inherited he, he had the family inheritance, which in that culture and that time was a big thing. What we know about Jacob is because of his mother's ambition for him, he duped his father, and his father gave his blessing, the inheritance, to Jacob. He deceived him. Jacob's name meant deceiver. He was that guy, that, that guy who knew what he, how to get what he wanted who knew how to deceive, who knew how to manipulate, knew how to twist the story in order to get what he wanted. That was Jacob. He also duped Esau out of the inheritance. So he, he tricked his dad and he tricked his brother. And now Jacob is on the run. In our story that we're going to read here in a minute, Jacob is on the run. He's also on a mission. He's looking for a wife because of his ambitious father. You see, his father, have you seen Big Fat, fat Greek Wedding? You know, the dad there, Gus? That, that's Isaac. He really wants Jacob to find the right wife. So, the story picks up. Jacob is on a mission. He's looking for a wife, and he's running from his brother. So let's pick it up there. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place... He stopped for the night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones there and he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Anybody ever used a rock for a pillow? Camping? Dan has. Wow. Hayes? Was that a yes? You said that was a... No, I don't do that. That was a wave and a fly off. That's what that was, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine using a rock for a pillow? So, 
Jacob dreams. I guess when you have a rock for a pillow, you dream. (laughs) Jacob has a dream. And he sees a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you. And wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid. I said, how awesome in this place. There's none other, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head. And he set it up as a pillar. Not a pillow, a pillar. And he poured oil on it. And he called that place Bethel. So Jacob has a dream. Jacob's running from his past. He's running from his brother. He's not looking for God. God sees him. And that's many of our story. God has seen us when he was the last thing we were thinking about. God breaks into Jacob's life through a dream. It's no small thing, is it? God says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the air and you will spread east, west, north, and south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, your offspring. So, Take that in a minute. I mean, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. So far, I'm guessing that his faith has been his grandpa's faith. You know, some of you know that feeling. Or your mother's faith. And now Jacob has a dream. And God's speaking to him. I am the Lord. This isn't about your grandfather, Jacob. This is not about your father, This is me and you. And Jacob, let me tell you something. It's not about you either. I'm doing something bigger than you. It was never about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. This is God's doing. God is bringing blessing to all peoples. Jacob was just thinking about how to evade his brother. He was thinking about how to find a wife. God wasn't unconcerned about those things. God was thinking about something much, much larger because God's thoughts and Jacob's thoughts were not the same thing. God told the great prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I hope that verse will become very real to you. 
that passage. Think of the plans, the ambitions. The way that you're thinking about your life is going to go right now. Think about Jacob in this place and how he's thinking about his life is going to go. He is not, he's not sure how long he's got to live. He's got a very angry brother in pursuit of him. He's trying to live out this grandpa faith. He has not met God. And Jacob has a dream. You may be coming into the, this chapter of your life with dreams and ambitions about how it's going to go. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, says, our problem is not that we dream too big. Our problem is that we dream too small. I don't care how big your dream is and your ambition is. I want you to hear God's words to Jacob. It is through what I'm doing you, I want to be a blessing to the nations. Sometimes we have to get past ourselves in order to see what God is doing. That's Jacob's story. That is true for us. See, Christ came announcing something. He came demonstrating something much larger than the ambitions of even the good religious people around Him. Much larger than the ambitions of men. So I'll ask the question a different way. Will you consider anchoring your life in that bigger thing? In Christ? Will you look into what He's about? Is your faith yours? Or is it your grandpa's? Or your mother's? Your grandmother's? I want you to see God's commitment to Jacob. Not, I don't want you to just hear the big, grandiose vision I want you to hear what God says very personally, even very intimately to Jacob. Jacob, I am with you. That would be enough right there. Can you personalize that? Can you imagine God saying to you, I am with you. Every step, I am with you. And he says, and I will watch over you. What's it like to have God watching over your life? And I will bring you back to this land, he says. I will not leave you until I've done what I've accomplished. It's not an easy season in Jacob's life, is it? He's struggling. He's on the run. And God breaks in with this promise. Not just a promise, but a blessing. Do you know God's blessing on your life? His, I am with you, and I will watch over you. See, that's part of what it means to be anchored in Him. It's not about just the big thing He wants to do through your life. Because you're going to find as you join this venture of doing the big thing for God, you're going to find how desperately you need Him. And you're going to see how your plans are different than what you thought. And he's going to say, I'll watch over you, and I will not leave you. God's promising Jacob he will be there and he'll be looking out. If you've been with us as Rock Hill very long, this is part of familiarizing yourself with our culture. There's, there's, a, there's been a deep lesson that God has been about with us for a while. 
it's a, been a core lesson for us, and it's this. I'll put it in the form of a question. Will we, can we, learn to trust in God's sufficiency for us as individuals, as a community? Will we trust God to give us what we need? Or will we try to make life happen on our own? Will we learn His life without lack? As the psalmist wrote poetically, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall have no lack. Will we learn and grow to depend on God for the needs, the dreams, and the details of our lives? Now if you're new here, don't mishear what I just said. I'm not claiming we're doing this all that well. Some days may be better than others, just to be honest. But it is His work in us. It is what He's called us to do. Pursuing this life without lack. Anchoring our lives in Christ. Not just confessing belief in Him. See, we don't want your being here to make it about you. That would cheapen your existence and your purpose. We don't want to just give you a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Or even a big hug so you can feel love. No, we, we'd love to give you a t-shirt and a coffee mug and we love to hug if you like that sort of thing. And we're happy to share those things. But we want you to see more. Immeasurably more. We want to invite you to share in living without lack. This journey, this quest. <clears throat> we're trying to anchor our lives in Christ. So Jacob awoke from his sleep and thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. What an honest confession. Jesus came announcing his kingdom of God and he says it's right here, it's at hand, it's right next to you. How often are we unaware of it? Jacob was afraid and said, man, this place is awesome. See, Jacob has woken up. He's become alive to God. This is his moment. This is not his grandfather's faith now. He's saying, this is the gate of heaven. I'm standing right at the gate of heaven. And then Jacob, then something else happens. He moves from like energy to fear. The writer says, and Jacob was afraid. It hit him what he was saying. I'm at the gate of heaven. He's waking up. Something much, much more. The old word was horrible, not the way we use it. It meant huge, awesome, majestic. He's waking up to that reality. Something bigger than his ambitions and his fears and his anxieties. It was overwhelming to him, you know, being fearful of God. That's not an unhealthy response. Fearing God. Waking up to God, you have every reason to be afraid. When you wake up to God and you realize you're in His presence, you begin to understand who you're dealing with and that you're not in control, that life is not about you. It's not a bad thing to have fear. But Jacob learned something beyond the fear. 
he learns he doesn't have to stay frightened because God is speaking to him intimately words of promise, words of blessing. He says, I will be for you. I will be with you. I will be good and loving to you. I'm giving you my blessing. Do you know a father's blessing? Many of you do. Some of you don't. You didn't get it. I want you to know God is a good father and he wants to put his hand on your head and say, I want to bless you. I want to bless your life. And so Jacob owns it. This is his moment of owning it, his faith. I'm staking my life right here. In his dream, I want to take us to his dream a minute. Jacob sees these angels connecting heaven and earth. What he's seen is angels going, sometimes they call it a ladder, but it really was a staircase. The angels going up and down stairs, going from heaven to earth, from God to earth, from earth back to God. And he hears the voice of God in his dream. Now I want to connect this verse. I want us to leave Jacob. I want to travel forward about 1900 years the time of Jesus. I want you to hear something Jesus said to a young man named Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a good rule-keeping Jewish man. Like Jacob, he inherited faith. But Nathaniel was probably not looking for God. Jesus sees Nathaniel and he calls him out. And I want you to see what Jesus says over Nathaniel. You'll see heaven open, Nathaniel. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-designation. That's what he called himself. See, Jesus knew that Nathaniel knew the story of Jacob. He was a good Israelite. Do you see what he's doing here? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Can you, can you see it? He's referencing Jacob's dream angels moving to and from heaven, but where are the angels landing now? The person of Jesus, the Son of Man. So Jacob says, surely this is the gate, this is the gate of heaven. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's wrapped up in my identity. It's in Jesus, right here among us. Jesus was the gate. It's an amazing thing. Christ Christ, of who the writer of Hebrews says, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Christ brought heaven. So anchoring your life is God, and God is not so much about getting to heaven when you die. It is about that. It's really about bringing heaven here. Now, here with us. The reality of Christ, the reign of Christ, the presence of God to us. Christ of who the Apostle Paul wrote is the image of the invisible God. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So in everything He might have the supremacy. Paul wrote that Christ might have the supremacy. You know what that includes? You. That in your life, this is God's vision for your life, that Christ would have a supremacy. It's a beautiful word. 
in your life. He would reign supreme in your life. So the thing I want you to become familiar with about us at Rock Hill is that we aspire to anchor our lives in Christ. And by His grace, we will not settle for less. Christ has brought God to us. Christ came to love and seek out people who'd lost their way, like us. Christ was a friend of sinners, like us, like you. Christ gave His life as a ransom for many, including us. Christ calls men and women, boys and girls, to follow Him unconditionally, unashamedly, fully, openly. Christ seeks out people to change their thinking about who God is, to make your faith yours, not your grandfather's. To trust Him, to become His disciple. Christ said to troubled, hurting people, in this life you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He said to anxious people, my peace I give you. It's at hand, His peace. He said to people needing direction, my spirit will teach you, guide you, and direct you. He proclaimed to people filled with worry, Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and things will take care of themselves. To people seeking purpose and fulfillment, I've come so that you might have life and have it fully. Christ above us as our King, Christ beside us as our brother, Christ below us in service to us, Christ among us as a comforter, Christ living in us as an equipper. You can't outvision him. Your ambition won't match his. Your drive will only find its way as it's aligned with his. Even your suffering will find its place in his kingdom. You may spend your entire life not knowing its place but it will find its place, even our suffering. Anchored in Christ. It's that simple this morning. Anchoring our lives in Christ, will you let Him be supreme in your life? For some of you, for maybe a handful of you, this is a new message. It's a new question for you. Will you let Him reign supreme in your life? For maybe a few of you, you have a faith that's a little bit like your grandfather's faith. It's a little bit like your mother's faith. Will you have a Jacob moment and anchor your life in Christ who has a robust vision for your life? For those of you who, have, who seek to anchor your life in Christ, the question is simple. What's next? What's the next step in that journey? You know, Jacob has this amazing experience with God. If you read the rest of his story, he like stays a mess. <laughs> News alert. He struggles. If you get to, I think it's chapter 37, he actually wrestles with God. We'll cover that sometime. I wouldn't want to do that. But he has anchored his life in Christ. The struggle's not over. 
but he knows where he's going. It is with God. That's the anchor. Will you anchor your life in him? The Holy Spirit will help you know. God's Spirit, he does what I can't do with words. He will speak to you and say, I am calling you to give your life to me. I'm calling you to trust in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for you on the cross. And now he wants you to learn to live your life as if he were living it. He wants his life to reign supreme in yours.